Welcome back to Techtopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have Tobias Stone. He's an entrepreneur and advisor for the Estonian e-residency program. This is Technotopia. Technotopia is brought to you by Typewriter. Typewriter is your on-demand editor, and their amazing team of writers will make your book chapter, blog post, or email shine. Typewriter editors come from places like TechCrunch, Gizmodo, and the New York Times, and they offer low bulk rates for longer work. Check it out at typewriter.plus. That's typewriter.plus. Welcome back to Technotopia, a podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. So today on the show, we have Tobias Stone. He's an entrepreneur and advisor for the Estonian e-residency program, the, the Estonian government, essentially. Uh, Tobias, why don't you tell us what you've been doing for Estonia and how it's going to affect us all in the future? Well, Estonia is interesting because they've had a digital identity for their citizens since 2001. And they then decided to release this in their e-residency program to foreigners. So now foreigners can apply for a government-issued digital identity card, and using that they can apply for a company, open a company, um, open a bank account, and sign contracts and notarize contracts online. And this gives people the ability to be what they like to say, virtual Estonians, mm-hmm. um, and run Estonian businesses from anywhere in the world. So I've, sorry, no, go ahead. I've been running events for the Estonian government around the world last year, finding thought leaders and innovators in the identity space, and really looking at the future of how identity can function. Interesting. Okay, so so this is actually pretty important. So we're talking about a fairly small, uh, I guess you would call it a Baltic country, that has offered up e-residency to almost the entire world, right? It's open to anyone who passes standard criminal record checks um, and the due diligence process by the police. Mm-hmm. So I could I could create an EU company from the US? Yes, this is where it's got really interesting, especially yeah. in light of Brexit in the UK. Um, people wanting to carry on running a business in Europe can open a, get any residency card from the Estonian embassy and then open a business from a bank account and submit tax returns from anywhere in the world. And this is really helpful if you want to have an e-registered company and a euro-denominated bank account, company bank account. Okay. So what would, so it's, so it's literally that easy. So the, so the point is, is that, that just like, just like any European could come over here and create a Delaware corporation, technically this is possible. Uh, we could do the same thing over there. Is it is it working as advertised? Does it do what it says on the tin? Is it is it working for small small businesses? It's beginning to work, and I think I would say it's to their credit that the government launched this in beta. So most governments don't launch things until they work perfectly and spend a huge huge amount of time and money doing that. The Estonians, being a very startup country, launched this quickly, um, and have been really trialing it since launch, and it's getting more and more effective. Um, over time. What's been interesting is that your residency was primarily underpinned by changes in the law as opposed to technology. So they had to, for example, change the law to allow people to open bank accounts without visiting the bank in person. And they managed to do this in about six months. So mm-hmm. they've had a, a lot of very rapid changes to their legislation to make it work. And that's that's still ongoing. But they're, they're very much the world leaders in this. 
Okay. And I think it's, I think it's very interesting that that they were willing to launch it without knowing exactly what it was going to do and how it was going to work, which is kind of more something more you'd expect from a startup. But has it has it worked in the way that has it worked in a way that you've seen a, a company in the U.S. say, "Hey, we got to do some business in Europe. Let's just do this." It's I'd say it's getting there. I mean, if you ask people who've done it, they'll say it's still got teething problems. Yeah. But they now have something like 1,700 companies set up mm-hmm. out of 17,000 people who've applied for e-residency. They want to scale it considerably in the coming years. Um, the plan originally started with Tavi Kotka, who was the CIO of Estonia, um, and a tech entrepreneur himself, coming up with this idea of creating 10 million virtual Estonians. So Estonia has a population of around 1.3 million people. Mm-hmm. And the problem they faced is that their GDP could only grow as a multiple of 1.3 million people. So the residency was launched as a way of trying to increase their population virtually to increase their GDP. And it's really scaled up from that into something a bit more complex, um, which is really trying to get people to run businesses out of the country um, and consequently use professional services and banking services there. So going back into the uh, the idea of this, the Brexit, is... Is this the future or is uh, what the UK did the future? Is it, are borders meaningless in Europe? Well, I think borders seem to be coming back. But certainly Estonia likes, to, likes the idea of a digital country mm-hmm. and removing borders. Um, so I think your residency heralds an age where they're talking about um, global nomads, people maybe having a passport from one country, a home in another country and a company in a third country. Mm-hmm. I've run a lot of events getting people talking about this. And what I find interesting about e-residency and, and more generally about identity and digital identity is that it very rapidly moves into the realms of philosophy. So what is a country? What do you need to have a country? And where do you need to belong? So the other thing Estonia did that's very interesting is set up digital embassies, um, which are basically servers in safe, trusted countries. Um, and the idea is that if the country ever got physically invaded they would press a button and it would reopen on the servers abroad. Mm-hmm. And that raises the question of whether you even need the land in order to be a country. Their argument is if you can vote online, you can register births and deaths online and pay your taxes online, do you actually need the physical country to carry on existing as a country? Hmm, interesting. What does, uh, what does Europe look like in, uh, in 20 years? <laughs> I don't think you can ask anyone over here right now what Europe will look like in twenty years. Um, uh, I mean, what 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 level of uh, what level of crispiness will the uh, will the burnt uh, wasteland of uh, <laughs> of Middle Europe look like? Let's go back to the topic of identity. Okay, okay. So Europe is rolling out something called EIDAS, yep. which is a, a standard across Europe for digital identity, and this could really have quite big impact. So, under EIDAS, once a country is called notifies. It means that the other countries in the European Union are obliged to recognise their government-issued digital identity. So, during the following, during the coming year, it's very likely that Germany will notify, which means other countries will have to recognise German digital identity. If Estonia notifies e-residency, um, then, for example, you should, in theory, be able to log into UK government services using a digital identity issued by the Estonian government mm-hmm. or the German government. And that really does begin to break down the idea of, of borders and identity in a way digitally that I think won't happen physically on the landmass. Is all of this borderless um, government a, I guess, a privilege of richer countries? 
yeah, and I think it's a privilege of richer people. But at the same time, in developing nations, a bit like some of the Eastern European countries, like Estonia, were able to leapfrog over to technologies after communism. Developing countries like India um, look like leaping over some of the existing heritage technologies that we have to deal with. So it's very likely that, that pure digital identity and connecting into digital banking is going to be more advanced in emerging countries than it is, say, in mainland Europe. So on the banking on the banking front, it's going to be it it trickles up, and from the identity front, it trickles down. Yeah, well, identity solves problems. So in, in countries where very few people have identity, um, it, it, once people don't have identity, they they cut off from the democratic process, from banking, from the economy. So giving people digital identity solves that problem very quickly. Um, an interesting background story is is how Estonia got like this. Um, <clears throat> After communism, they had to reissue a new passport to everyone in the country pretty well during the same week, which meant that 10 years later, when all those passports ran out, they got to reissue the national identity card to everybody again in one go. And mm -hmm. that way, they were able to issue a digital identity that pretty well came into effect overnight. So that's a very unusual fluke of history. Um, so in emerging countries where large parts of the population have no identity and no way of identifying themselves within finance and within business and tax, giving everyone a digital identity leapfrogs over a lot of the more old-fashioned identities that we're still using, for example, in the UK and Europe. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's always it's always very primitive to have to, you, you land somewhere and you have to show a piece of paper to somebody, and then you have to fill out a piece of paper to show, to, to give to that person as well, which is just wild. Well, absolutely. And one of the experts I know on identity pointed out that passports were issued as travel documents, not as identity documents. Mm -hmm. So when we use our passports or driving license in the States or the UK, it isn't actually that high an assurance of identity. What is it about the human psyche that, that allows us to do this? I was just talking about this with my son. I, I, I signed a uh, credit card form with like a, I think I drew a fish or something like that. And, but it was up to a certain point, and I think it's changing rapidly, but up to a certain point, the, the signature and these little pieces of paper were basically massively important for, for governments. I find it fascinating. I mean, so for, in the UK now, we, most of us don't even bother signing the back of our credit cards because we use chip and pin, mm -hmm. and that's only just being introduced in America. Um, so yeah, I, I think a wet signature is becoming quite an old-fashioned thing. A, a talk I gave recently in London, I suggested to the audience that they would be obsolete if they were a country that requires paper and wet signatures to set up and run a country, set up and run a company. Mm -hmm. Or if they were a bank that requires people to go in, sign papers, and use wetting signatures to set up and run a bank account. Okay. So with, with, with a fully functioning, high-assurance government digital identity, you don't need to go and sign papers anymore. Which would be a, which would be a massive benefit. What do you it's think a massive benefit, and it's a huge competitive advantage. Mm -hmm. So I, I, in the UK, I opened two business accounts recently, one of which I had to go into the bank, sign multiple bits of paper, and identify myself. The other, I downloaded an app and had a bank account within three minutes. Mm -hmm. the, the competitive advantage is huge. Okay. What's the, uh, what's the benefit? What's the, how, are, how is KYC changing uh, with this? So this is know your customer. Uh, these are laws that are that are required by banks to identify you and and have and have some understanding of who you are. Then that you're not then you're not dumping cash into I don't know stinger missiles in Iran somewhere. Um, sure, I mean KYC is really important. And again, when you look at KYC in banking, the the standard model that we all know, having to go to the bank, sign paper, show your passport to people, it's it's hugely time consuming for the customer and for the bank, and it's hugely expensive for the bank. So there's a number of startups out there that are trying to perfect 
either all or part of the KYC process. Well, taking it one step further, if you have a government-issued high assurance digital identity like in Estonia, then in theory you don't have to do KYC because you already identified yourself to the governments, and that's a much higher level of assurance and identity than a banking KYC. Mm-hmm. So in the UK, we actually use banking KYC to access government services through the government's Verify program. But with Estonia, you can plug your identity card in and open the bank accounts online because you've already identified yourself to the government. So it's different ways around the same problem. In, in, in the UK, it's difficult because we, we culturally do not want to have an identity card. Um, whereas the, in the state, people are happy to have it. Um, but yeah, KYC will change. And I think if you have the chance to download an app like Tide or Number 26 or Holvi, which are the, the app banks, it's very interesting to see how they identify you and how they're using different processes now to do KYC more quickly and more efficiently. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. So what does the... What does the future hold for identity? Are we are we going to go all digital soon? How how many of the countries that, that you've talked to are going to be going digital sooner than later? A lot of countries are very interested in this. So Singapore is particularly interested, the Netherlands. Um, Estonia has been a trailblazer, but I think a lot of other countries will be doing the same thing and catching up. But looking at the future of identity, I think what's interesting is what happens when you have a a digital identity issued by a government that is considered a high assurance of identity. What, what else can you do with that? Um, and again, I think Estonia is a very interesting way of seeing how the future can function when it works. So, for example, in Estonia, the government saves 2% of GDP through digital government, uh, and they spend 2% of GDP on defence mm-hmm. to be part of NATO. So the, the, the cost saving is, is significant. Um, <clears throat> and they're beginning to look at how they can use the big data they get from digital government. Um, to do predictive policy making, um, to make people's companies run more effectively. So I think the the impact is very big. It's interesting just looking at how this really works in the background. So part of it is is the individual having a digital identity. Part of it is also the digital infrastructure being properly connected together. So again, Estonia has something called X-Road, which connects all the different silos of government together. When you combine the two, the ability of, of people to identify themselves with a fully connected digital government, suddenly things start to work way more effectively and mm-hmm. benefit both the government and the individual. The other little snippet of insight I got from the Estonian government was uh, because so much information is collated in the background online, you can log in with your digital identity and submit a tax return that's already been put together by the government for you. Hmm. So as they like to boast, you can do your tax returns in two to three minutes. Yep. What actually happens in reality is that after the date they launched the tax returns, 60% of people have filled their tax return out within a week. So that has significant impact both on, on the government's finances, but also on the ability for the government to rebate tax to companies very quickly, mm-hmm. which helps the, gov- the company's cash flow. So I think it's interesting that something small like a digital identity card, when you actually play out at a kind of national level, can have significant impacts on the economy and, and on cash flow and businesses. Okay. Very cool. So where can people find out uh, about what, what you're working on? Well, firstly, they can look at e-residency. If you, search, if you just Google e-residency Estonia, it takes you to a variety of links and you can apply for a card. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I'm working on is, is my website, which is newsquare.io. And I'm looking at running innovation programs around identity and a conference later in, in the year in Estonia on the future of identity as well. Okay. So I'm going to head up there and uh, I'm going to be able to 
I'm going to be able to swipe my swipe my identity card, get into the country, immediately build a company, and have a second family. It sounds pretty interesting, mate. And start a farm. Start a farm, yes. All right, perfect, <laughs> perfect. So, Tobias, thank you for thank you for joining us on uh, Technotopia. It's been a uh, it's been a pleasure. I've always been uh, I've always been interested in this stuff, and you've been uh, on the cutting edge for a long time. Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening to Technotopia. I'm John Biggs. We will see you next week.